on Wild Endeavors. Heroes are not perfect. We are not perfect. But we're going to save the world. You might slow us down, but we're going to do it. The Wayward Sons prepared to set out in search of another Crucius. But when the companions returned to their airship, they were greeted with a serious problem. Half of the party saw Kenku assassins attacking the crew. The other half saw only frightened Ceruleans being cut down by the Wayward Sons. Eventually, the Archfey known as the Winter Judge. The Winter Judge revealed itself and explained to our heroes that tricking them into killing their own crew was just the first of the four penalties the Fey Court had sentenced them to. In the wake of the massacre, the Wayward Sons tried to pick up the pieces and continue on their quest. This is the story of the Wayward Sons, featuring Evan Chamberlain as the human cleric, Elliman Corster. Man, what's some inspiring words I could say? Amy Jostino as the dwarven barbarian, Therina Thunderhelm. I'm going to go on record and say, I think we should just get on with our business, but... Adam Rogers as the gnome rogue, Malkin Kessel. Did he hear Malkin say he was sorry? Nick Feely as elven fighter, Aramil Galadinel. No, I just thought that, um, we just thought that, to be honest, it was kind of Elliman's idea. Devin Salisbury as the Eldrin wizard, Varys Leodon. We just no. basically, like, closed that door and was like, let's go elsewhere. And I'm Thomas Marsetti, the DM who puts the end in these wild endeavors. Content warning. This episode contains depiction of traumatic loss of life and implied harm to children and one dog. If you prefer to avoid this part of the episode, you can skip from minute 45 and a half to minute 51 and a half. And now, the story of the Wayward Sons. Episode 8, The Fate of Arthamore. of your attack, word spreads quickly of the Archfey and their illusion. There doesn't seem to be anyone who doubts that the story is true, but many of the crew give you wary glances. They shuffle to give you a wide berth, or find a reason to quickly leave a room when you enter. What were the five of you doing in the aftermath of the attack? How many so, crew members did we end up killing? A lot. I say we. I feel like the arena was on a rampage. Eight Ceruleans died. <sighs> Is there any way I can go and do anything to... Not unless you have a resurrection spell. I don't. Not yet. I feel like Malcolm's gonna go and like start tending to the dead and like if there's any other regular Cerulean's around that are still alive that I kind of tell them that we need to give them a proper burial at air. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're still, you're still on the ground, but... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we need to put them somewhere. Yeah, whatever the Cerulean tradition would be. <laughs> Can I recommend to the group that we send the families of the people that I killed extra gold? <laughs> I feel a little bad. Yeah, you should. Killing members of our crew. Hey, I, I didn't see it. Y'all should have done something earlier to stop me. <laughs> what I would say to the group, like before we started tending to the bodies, or whatever, is just that if there's one lesson that we need to learn from events like this, is that we all have weaknesses and we all know what the weaknesses of the rest of the party members are. And we need to learn to trust each other. We've been at this long enough to not have these kinds of hang-ups or at least be able to minimize the damage and always keep the task at hand in the center of our minds. I'm also going to suggest something as well. That might sound a little radical, but when we get to where we need to go, we should probably separate ourselves from this crew. Probably a good idea. I hate to say it, and this is good mode of transport, but uh, it's, it's a little bit safer this way. 
Is I it? mean, the Fae are going to find us no matter what no we matter, do. Yeah. It's not like the crew has any bearing on how they track us. If you're looking to protect our reputation... No, I'm not looking to protect our reputation. More or less, I'm looking to protect the people. I'd like to think that they're not going to do the same thing again and have us start killing our crew. Like, that'd be a dumb punishment to do that over and over again. But we could also... I don't want to lose the ship, though. So, I mean, if you really want to lose the crew, I'd rather have them teach us how to turn it on and go <laughs> so we can fly it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... If you'd rather not, it's fine. I mean, it's not like this is, you know, we don't have to put it to a vote or anything. It's just an idea. Their only other concern is then other people can still target them and all of the people under us, no matter where they are. They're always going to be a weakness for us all. So the argument there is the best place we can protect them is right next to us. Hard to say which is better, you know, because it's both pretty much the same. Until we are able to uh, give these guys a proper burial, I'm going to stand vigil over where uh, we put their bodies. That seems like a good segue into a funereal scene. The five of you and the entire crew of the Dawn Rose gather on the upper deck. The eight dead are laid out in a row. They are wrapped in white shrouds that have blue suns on them. Captain Atherton Wing stands at the head of the bodies, facing the rest of the crew, who are in a semicircle around that area. You haven't seen Wing do something like this since the Siege of Valorhold. He was your commanding officer during that endeavor, and he was much more comfortable then speaking about warriors who died in combat. This is a bit different from that. He offers some words from the dogma of Helm, the god of protection. You know that this is Wing's faith, but the tenets and the platitudes fit nicely in a eulogy about people who serve together, serve a common cause. Wing also offers some words from the teachings of Timora and Severus, but he seems far less comfortable with those. It seems like he is offering those words because they were gods that some of the dead had worshipped. What, if anything, are you all doing during this little ceremony, or immediately before or after? Would it help if I left my Warhammer in my room? For the funeral? Probably. <laughs> I meant, like, yeah, for the for the time. Oh, like while you're on... Obviously, yeah. Obviously I'll have other weapons on me that nobody can see, but, like... <laughs> just to, like, chill people out, I won't wear... So, like, would would we have had a chance to, like, explain ourselves? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so people, like, understand that we we weren't openly, purposefully killing members of the crew. Like, they're kind of scared of us, but they understand that it wasn't, like, on purpose. Exactly. Okay, all right. That makes sense. I would say Aramil, during during the service, is just kind of, like, pretty stoic maybe like caring more on the inside than he would be showing on the outside maybe i think the outside would be more like standoffish to the point where like i think people might think it was cold but on the inside cares a little more about what happened thinking back especially to what he had previously done i actually feel like therena would be a little upset about having killed crew on a ship since like she's got a bad history with Crews on ships dying. I didn't even think about that. That's great. I mean, <laughs> not great like it might be a trigger for her. Uh, great that you thought about that. I'm I'm sure she can't help but remember being on board the Kraken Mare uh, when it was attacked and, and watching her friends die around her. That could be really rough for her. So what she is... might shed a tear. <laughs> I mean, obviously she would take this very seriously. Um, I was going to say Malcolm, I don't want to like get too in depth, but like prior to this, he's like done all this like crazy stuff and like kind of become, tried to become a little bit more of a leader and like won this bridge thing. And then at the, even at the court thing, like the people were impressed by all the stuff that he did. So I feel like he was like getting like a big ego Mm -hmm. and then this like knocked him down like a few rungs, like back to reality that he's really not that important in the grand scheme of things and he's really like during that battle like got like super frustrated and like 
back to that, like how they had that battle royale thing that we did and we didn't want to like hurt anybody on the team. They didn't really have a choice this time mm-hmm. and actually did have to hurt Therina. So he's still like more sad about that maybe than the crew. Like I feel like I he understands that it wasn't, it was like an illusion or it was a spell or whatever mm-hmm. that did it. So I think mentally he's kind of upset that he still had to hit, like, hurt somebody on the team, so he probably looks kind of emotionless, just kind of standing around, probably not really talking to too many people. And that's probably noticeable from him, too, because he he does tend to, like, make jokes and and, uh, kind of crack wise a little bit, so him him being just very quiet, I think, is probably pretty noticeable. I, for one, am happy that he's quiet. (laughs) I would agree. Uh, I would agree that it'd be noticeable for him. I would assume Malkin at like a regular funeral would be like the one like cracking jokes, trying to to make the atmosphere a little bit lighter. Like mm-hmm. even if it's like making jokes about the deceased, but in this case, he's not. He's not even really thinking too much about like the dead crew right now. He's thinking about the team's struggle. Nice. If it helps, it can like balance out the fact that I traded you for a kraken. <laughs> Right? Right? I don't I don't think so. He still sucked me out. I traded he hasn't you told I that traded favor. Yeah. Right? He was he was from what I remember reminded that that favor existed too when element spell so. Oh yeah. He he's very aware of the favor. Fine. Um Varys probably would have gone up to the guards that survived the attack that he had helped person on and probably apologize to them for clearly scaring them, but trying to reassure him that it was not his intention. He would probably spend the rest of the time trying to uh, think about if there's any way we can try to prevent this from happening again in the future. See if there's anything we can like add or put onto the ship that might at least maybe detect it, if not mm-hmm. prevent it. Remind me of that in a little bit. Let's come back okay. to that part of it. Okay. What is Element up to? He's standing vigil over the uh, the dead, sword drawn, like hilt down. Mm-hmm. And um, man, what's some inspiring words I could say? You also don't have to be like verbatim if you just want to kind of give us an idea what you would say. Probably to the effect of, you know, these men served very well for the duration of their service. What happened to them was tragic, but with death now, service does end. And I'll say something to the effect of they go now in Helm's grace, but also Tempest is presiding over them. And if they are battle hardened, they will be on the field of battle at the warrior's respite. Go ahead and roll persuasion. 19. It's obviously still a funeral um, and then things are still obviously pretty rough. But like that you step forward and set that and you being a cleric, um, you know, being like a man of uh, of a god sort of thing, like, you know how to help spread that message, and it, it certainly lands, and um, it definitely will help with, uh, like, morale overall, and what how the crew feels towards you all. So, that's, that's good. Alright, and I'll just continue my watch um, okay. as, for as long as we have them on the ship. Okay. After the funeral ceremony, a somewhat somber bustle settles in on the ship as the crew prepares for the next leg of the journey. At that time, Wing informs you that a number of the crew have volunteered to escort the Fallen back to Beacon's End and the Cerulean Tower. Flying back in the Dawn Rose would be much faster, but it would essentially double the time it would take you to get to Bright Moon. So some of the crew have procured a cart and some special oils that will keep the corpses from decaying uh, over the course of the journey. All that is to say, between the Fallen and the Escort, the crew of the Dawn Rose will be down to about 20 people, or a little less than half. There would have been actually even fewer who remained, but you all did quite a bit to mitigate um, some, some of the more significant losses. So... Sinashur is on a river and has a pretty significant dock district, so there are plenty of able sailors in the city. If you want, 
to hire a new crew from there, or if you want to... How much of a crew do we need, though? You'll need to replace those 20. Okay. The crew is the crew's pretty small already, just because the ship doesn't need as many as like a sailing ship. Like there's not as much rigging and things like that to take care of, but it still needs it still needs about the 45 or so that you would normally have on. So is there a um, is there like a crew leader? Like is there a hierarchy among the crew? Mm-hmm. Can we can we say like we don't want to hire them, so we'll let like well yeah it's the quartermaster's job I believe to do that. Right, so I think it would be a good a display of good faith if we like put the trust back in the crew to say like, hey, add on what whoever you need. Our coffers are open for you, kind of thing. Like maybe as a makeup call. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, the quartermaster is Sephiroth Simons. I mean, as a former quartermaster, <laughs> I think <laughs> I would be on the message. A ship's quartermaster is a little bit different, but I I think Aramel would would be like, oh yeah. I've I've done that job. <laughs> yeah, the name's the same. The job's different. Yeah, yeah. So there's a similarity. Um, yes, you can absolutely send one of the crew to to go get more crew from the city. So we need one of you to make a couple rolls here. Because you're sending separal, it'll end up using their modifiers instead of yours. But I still want this to be a roll that you can make. So the first one will be for Sephiroth's charisma check. That is an 18. Okay. And then give me a wisdom check. 17. So that kind of represents like you talking to him a little bit and just like you, you know, you want him to do it, uh, the full faith in him and all that good stuff. And then also like with his abilities as well, like how, how well he does in bringing a new, new crew. So so he comes back within a couple hours. There is a like a sailor's guild right on the riverfront. They've got a, a, a pretty hefty roster of um, sailors and crew and people that you could hire right away. He wants to know if you would like to hire basically kind of like the two tiers that they have, like the kind of the, the newer sailors and the more veteran sailors. So the difference is it's two gold per day for the veterans and like one gold per day for for the newer ones um i would think veterans would be worth it agreed like plus have we ever really cared about money and also like i mean to be clear like this is not like you have to pay them for the Mm -hmm. end of time but like you mentioned you you said you were going to pay them for a little while to kind of help like kind of make up for it so eventually they'll come back to being on the cerulean sun payroll and then they'll like they'll take care of it but Gotcha. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely worth it to upspend. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So then he goes back to the city. Makeup is back a couple more hours later with like a group of the sailors, and there's like so that there's gonna be some more coming in. And he comes back to you, Aramel, and he says, um, "While we were in the guild hall the second time, there was a couple of the sailors that were acting a little bit funny, in my estimation." Um, one of them has come come back with this group. He just looks a little bit antsy, and I thought I should mention it to you. He's a guild member, so he should be fine, but... Thank you for letting me know. If you wouldn't mind, please keep a close eye on him and report any suspicious activity at all that you might see from him. Cipril says, of course, Sion. Then gives you the Cerulean salute and uh, goes back to their business. And I just signed my own death warrant. <laughs> <laughs> What's our cooking I, situation right now? The cooking situation? Yeah, like, I, maybe we should hire a, a good cook, you know, to boost morale. I'm thinking it might not be a bad idea. How much would that be? I think you could get a good cook. I would say just like a signing bonus. You could probably get one for 75 gold. Oh, it's worth it. Aramil, are you? would you accept this? I am on board. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to say something to the quartermaster about that. <laughs> all right, market 75 gold for signing bonus. We'll say you had Sipperl do all this at the same time, so he's not just like running back and forth from the ship to the city. When you mention hiring a new cook, Sepperl says, Oh, yeah, absolutely, we can do that. Um, it, is there something wrong with Hamdir's cooking? No, I just thought that... Um, we just thought that 
to be honest, it was kind of Element's idea, but <laughs> keep that on the dock. <laughs> we just thought that mm-hmm. bringing in an, an added extra set of hands could help produce even higher quality food for the crew, and we think that's something everybody could use right now. He takes a deep breath. He's like, oh, uh, well, um, I will, I'll try to sell the idea to, to Hemdir like that. Uh, he does perhaps, tend perhaps to he take can be seen as a sous chef. Oh, well, this is not a bad idea. Is that, is that better than a cook? No, a sous chef is like a... Like the assistant to the chef. So it's a demotion for him. No, the new guy would be yeah, a sous chef. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, he might, he might go for that then, yeah. He's a, you know, he's, he considers himself an artist, so he's got a very, you know, uh, delicate soul. Uh, maybe we're going to piss off our cook. <laughs> One of you give me a charisma check. I think this one should definitely be element. Okay, that's that's fair. That's totally fair. 17. So I think between that and the sous chef argument or arrangement means that you are able to bring in the new cook and not upset Hemdir. So the quality of the food on the ship will increase and that will in turn, of course, make everybody happier uh, over time. So, is there anything else that you wanted to do, like, as you're preparing, as the crew, like, the new crew are coming on board? Um, it won't take long to get everybody up to speed, um, because you have enough of the crew that survived, and um, most of the, like, important, like, officer type or, like, higher level positions on the ship survived, so they can they can train the crew pretty quickly, and... For the most part, it's not a huge departure from like a sailing ship to an airship. So, I think I'm good. What about Arthamore? Wasn't something going on there? Well, from where you are, um, you could actually swing by Arthamore. It would add four days to your journey, but then you could see for yourself. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely worth it. Okay, so you again? It's it's only like a couple like. Arthamore, from where you are, is like northwest, and Bright Moon is like west northwest. So you have to like arc a little bit up, adding just a couple of days. So after a couple of days uh, of flying, morale is slowly improving among the crew. Like as people kind of get back into their routine, like back to the jobs that they're doing, the new crew are kind of meshing in. I guess we're some kind of seen as like managers in a way of mm-hmm. the ship. Is that right? I yeah. guess I would want to be more like on the floor, so to speak, than I usually would be. Like, okay. not only for our own, for my own, like, security purposes to, like, make sure everything's good, but also to be, like, to boost their morale. Like, be nice about it, not, like, suspiciously. So, I mean, tell me a little bit what that looks like. Probably, like, like, Lumberg in office space, like, I'm the annoying manager guy popping in, like, hey, how's everybody doing? Like, trying to make small talk. And maybe they all kind of like tense up when I come in, but I'm still trying to kind of mm. make it work. Yeah. Uh, give me a persuasion. That's a four. You are definitely like Lumberg with a four then. <laughs> not like hated because you're not like coming in giving them the extra work, but definitely it's... <laughs> they like, they don't want me there. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit awkward and they are absolutely talking about you behind your back. Like as soon as you leave, uh, this fucking guy. Like, he even knows anything about the ship. <laughs> yeah, but at least he's not shooting us anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> and when they say it, like, it's obviously a joke to them. But over time, that does actually make a difference. Just the normalization of seeing you out with the crew, seeing you doing normal things, and the fact that they are able to make fun of you a little bit does help. I want to be the, the stoic guy who just stares off in the distance. Okay. Well, then you see a lot of clouds as you fly. <laughs> a couple days um, into your, your, you know, the into your journey, you're called on deck to see the city, or, or rather, what's left of Arthamore. You're already practically on top of it. Uh, the first mate apologizes, even though that they were looking for a city that's been kind of overrun by, you know from what they've heard, like, overrun by plants, it still was kind of shocking to see that there's there's almost no sign of the city left. It, stretching for, for miles out, kind of like, almost like an amoeba, is just this 
patch of wild growth and strange plants and huge trees um, poking up from the mass of foliage are ferns that must be four or five stories tall there's some spiky growths that come out of the canopy that almost look like huge hedgehogs are resting um, on different parts uh, of this forest if you look close enough you can maybe like just barely make out like a corner of a building or something like wrapped in vines or covered in moss if anything it reminds you probably a little bit of the tropical rainforest type in the stormlands like those really huge almost otherworldly plants Around this new forest is a mile-wide band of scorched earth. And the, a bunch of the crew are up on deck and, like, standing along the railing, looking down as well. Mouths agape or faces slack with shock. The bosun interrupts this by pointing out that there's a figure um, below that is waving you down. They're standing among a small cluster of tents. There's a banner flying overhead of the, the golden eagle of the Primarchy. And there is, in fact, a figure down there kind of, like, waving, like, somehow, con like, conveying, like, it's not, like, a, an order, but, like, hey, come on down, we'd like to talk. I'm okay with it. It's the what did we know about, like, what did we expect that we were going to see before we flew in here? Honestly, I thought it was a crater. I didn't realize it was like this. Um, Elglirian said he wasn't sure. Like, the, the details okay. were pretty sketchy, and that the, the Primarchy was kind of in there trying to figure things out, but that the city was gone, and something something clearly magical had happened to it. So, okay. Yeah, I'd be down for going to check it out. I'd say uh, if we go down there, try not to give them any hint that we knew nefarious things were happening in Arthur Moore. Mm -hmm. So they don't maybe try to question us as to the involvement here. Yeah, we we totally knew that nefarious things were happening there. <laughs> yeah, we did. What, what past things happened in this city? This is where our, the whole thing went down with the prison and... Yeah, and where you let Kara Nilo kill the Duke, and then that led to, like, some rioting in the cities and part of the city burning. Gotcha, um, okay. The class was operating in Arthamore, and Raphael had mentioned it might be worth you checking out Arthamore before yeah. you, okay. you know. okay. And, of course, Fen and some of his new friends got into quite a few hijinks in the, during the Shadows campaign in Arthamore. But your characters don't know anything about that. But it was a place where we were supposed to never return to, right? Like, right. once we escaped that last time? Okay. Right. Well, the, yeah, the class had said not to return. So. Okay. Okay. So you land the ship just out, like, I think probably on the other side of this little encampment of, of Primarchy troops. And there's a, a small contingent that, that meets you, um, or is waiting to meet you. Captain Wing, you know, comes up to the, to, to the railing with you, and he says, would you like me to come with you, or do you... He's like, I trust you all to handle this. Um, I, I believe it might be best to stay with the crew. So if you step down off the ship uh, to, to ground level with the, the Primarchy, um, they're all wearing, like, golden armor. Like, that's kind of seems to be their thing. Um, and gold is one of the main colors of the Primarchy. The, the clear leader is wearing, like, a, a golden light plate. Um, and he's got a golden eagle inside of a starburst on his chest. Um, I think that you would... That's the, the symbol of the Shining Force um, as one of the, like, the elite legions for the Primarchy. Um, he's a human... Black hair with with just a little bit of white creeping into his temples, and he stands there waiting for you like a he stands like a lifelong military man. And as you approach, he says, "Gold, in peace, Ceruleans. Thank you for heeding our call. I have need of your airship. I am prepared to pay you well for its services." I uh, step up. I'm Element Corster, Scion with the Cerulean Sons. Um, how may we be of assistance? I have been charged by Justicar Primus Quintus Orias with determining what has happened here. A bird's eye view would be most helpful. I can pay you 50 gold per day for five days for you to take my people above the city I say that we do what'd you say you say that I we say what? that we do it because why not 
I don't think there should be any harm into it. Can I do an insight check on this guy? <laughs> sure. Okay. Fourteen. What are you trying to find out? I just want to know if this guy's being genuine and who he really is. Yes, he seems he seems very uh, genuine, very stern, um, very. He seems like a very no nonsense kind of guy. You, particularly um, being a cleric of Tempest, being our own soldier, so much like this is definitely the kind of guy who, if he wanted to try to like pull a fast one on somebody, he would have trouble doing it. Like he just would have yeah. trouble knowing right. how to do that. I grew up with these kind of guys. Right. Okay. I mean, okay. I mean, I have to know now because you know I don't trust anybody nowadays. <laughs> That's fine. But don't we have a sense of urgency now? Um, like knitting to get shit done. Yeah, I hear you. That's kind of one of the things I talked about a couple sessions ago. It's a good point. And then after we talked to the Fae people, we're like, okay, now that means we've got to get on whatever our mission is. But if y'all want to waste five days, we would pay for the extra crew. So was the deal they were going to take the ship, or were we going to stay aboard? No, he would. Um, he would need your crew to fly the ship. He just wants his people to be on board while I like and fly over the city. Five days. Why? Why do you need? Fi- I'm going to ask him. Why does he need five days? Honestly, we won't know until we get up there. I'd have asked for more, but our current funds are limited. I mean, it, it is gold, and it will help pay for the crew that we just bought. For what it's worth, like a normal, like normal passage on a ship is. Mm-hmm a couple silver pieces per mile. So... Yeah. What about just like two days? Yeah. We could use two days. Five would be much more preferable for my mission. It might be wise to run this by the captain. Yeah, you you might be right about that. Let us run it by the captain of the ship first. Are you not the captain. I no, I am uh it's a little the, the the ranking structure of the Cerulean Sons is a little odd. Um I do in a sense outrank the captain, but it is his ship. He he gives you a look like that seems very odd to him. Um I know it seems and and I kind of noticed that, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we Again, he's not He's he's not like yeah. being shy about it. <laughs> I know it seems odd, but I have massive respect for this captain. We also weren't expecting you to want to deal business with our ship. Otherwise, we would have brought him with us. Please then, go fetch whoever it is who can make deals on your behalf. I'll go, I'll go get him. Okay. okay. Wing comes down and hears the pitch and then steps to the side with you all to have kind of like a private conference. He says, Well, I mean... To be honest, I'm not quite clear on what our goals are in Brighton. I'm not sure what kind of timetable, how hastily we need to get there. I would say, however, the ship overall could certainly use a little extra funds. We are, after all, supposed to be carrying out trade contracts. Any additional gold that we can procure would help to hide from the Aurora that you are hunting for the Crucius after they specifically told you not to. I say we give him two. I don't know what five days can help him accomplish by circling the city that two couldn't do. So I I can say we can afford two days at least. It would at least give us some time to kind of see what exactly he's needing it for and then maybe kind of go from there. If we need to cut it early a day, we can. If we need to extend it, we can, depending on what's going on. I'm going to go on record and say I think we should just get on with our business, but... Well, having, having an ally in the Primarch, or having a favor from the Primarchy, might be nice. Especially not knowing what these Gesh are. Might be nice to have an extra band of soldiers to call upon, should we need it. I'm not going to disagree with that. It's a fair point. Malcolm votes two days. Two days. Thomas, do, we, do I know, like, do we have good relations with the Primarch? Do we, like, have a like yes, the, you've had lots of relations with the Primarch. The Cerulean Sons have um, somewhat of a relationship with them, yes. They haven't really hired the Ceruleans ever, 
but they did enter into a a big um, treaty with all the other like all the other nations and the Cerulean Suns, basically saying that agreeing that they would never try to take the airships from the the Ceruleans, and that they would lend military might to attack any nation that did try to take the airships. Okay. So yeah, this might definitely help bolster good relations with the Primark. Maybe, yeah, open up more commerce between the two. Wing nods at that. Okay, we have five of us, so we cannot have a tie. So I vote two days. Two days. Two days. Zero days. Uh, so it seems like two days it is. Two days. Well, I'm uh, just going to go hang out with Diggy while they do the stupid whatever. Yeah, that's good. Fine. Okay, so Akio uh, Platius uh, was the, the gentleman that you were talking to. He agrees to the two days. Do you do you want the fifty gold personally, or are you gonna like let like have that go to the ship? Um, I'd say give it to the ship. Okay. Yeah, wherever the crew is being paid out of. Yeah. Okay. And he says, you know, uh, basically very good. We'll start right away, and like two days from you know, in two days' time at this at this time, we'll release you. Um, until then, he'd like to you know he'd like to have the ship in the air from from sunrise to sunset. The first trip up, he has a couple of uh, a small group of about like five people, like in in golden robes, get on board. They look very wizardly or of the arcane arts. Just wanted to say, like, I want to definitely keep an eye on anybody and make sure that they're not trying to like figure out and see how we have the ship working because I know that we're the only people that do. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. so. I want to make sure that they're not trying to like steal the info. Of- I want enge- Yeah, I was gonna say engineering should be sealed. Sure. So the first day is like, you know, it was already like mid-afternoon by the time you guys are landing here. So like the the first day or until the first sunset is only a couple of hours. And the five stayed up on deck the whole time. They had like a series of like lenses and some crystals and things like that. They were casting like scrying magic down into the city. Kind of just a lot of basically looking like the magical equivalent of like a science team. Like... Mm -hmm. Like, at one point, they've got a spyglass set up, and one of them, like, aims it down at the city and then steps back and casts a, a spell. And, like, a little ray of light comes up from the city into the, the spyglass and out the eyepiece into this prism. And they toss, like, a little handful of, like, dust at it, and it, the, the dust all, like, turns blue. And all of them are like, oh, mm, okay. And they start, they start scribbling notes down. And, you know, maybe they, they do it again some other time, and the, the dust turns yellow. And they're like, oh, okay, mm, and scribbling notes down. Periodically, they have this little chest that has a series of grapefruit-sized crystal balls in there, and they will, from time to time, like, take those and put it up against the eyepiece from that spyglass. And when that little bit of light comes up into the spyglass, it seems to kind of coalesce. There's, like, a silvery mist in the crystal ball. And sometimes, if there's already some mist in there, like, it grows thicker and denser, and they seem to be collecting something and putting those back into the, the chest. Is there anything that you all want to do during these two days, or just want to use it as, like, some time to rest? You did just spend like a solid month in the Feywild, adventuring, fighting, being on trial for murder, and then some more adventuring and fighting. So, I definitely want to go over and ask the guy in charge. I forgot his name already. I'm sorry. That's fine. Um, why they can't get into the city? He says it may be easier for me to show you. I mean, he leads you, and I'm if all of you want to go to one of the larger tents in their in their little encampment. It is very, very clearly set up like a command center type area. There's a bunch of tables and maps and a couple clerks, you know, scurrying around here and there. And then in the center of the room is a big like round like probably like a war table type of thing. Like that's where like the commanders would sit. I mean, it's definitely like it's not a typical camp table this doesn't look like this can be like disassembled and carried very easily like this looks like the kind of table like takes an entire wagon to itself like this is a serious table and in the center of it there is a a large like a just a little bit larger than like a basketball like a crystal orb like sitting in a like a, a setting there and as you come into the tent there is another one of those gold robed like wizard types and he has a smaller, like an orange-sized crystal orb in his hand, and he is kind of like pulling at it, almost like you're like like pulling out a tissue out of a box. And like he keeps on doing it every time he does, like a little, little like white smoke comes out of that orb. 
And then when he's done that a couple of times, and he has like a handful of smoke, he then kind of like does the reverse action into the larger orb. And the smoke like feeds into that. And so Akio um, explains that like they've been trying to collect as best they can some of the, the memories of the last moments of some of the dead citizens, trying to piece together what happened from that. But they can't get very close to the city, so they're not, they can't gather it as quickly or as effectively as they normally could. What happens when you get too close to the city? Let me show you. And he has the, he has that, that wizard, like, you know, sort of channeling some energy into the orb and the, the, the large one in the center of the table, like a shaft of light expands out from the top, kind of like a projector. And then there's an image floating above the table. The image is about like six feet tall, about 12 feet wide. It's a good, like it's a good sized screen if it were a screen. And it looks a lot like, like found footage, kind of, you know, that, that POV almost sort of thing. Okay. Um, and the projection shows a crowded marketplace. And somebody is clearly walking through it. Like the view swings back and forth. They're like checking different stalls and carts. And, and then something catches this person's eye and they look up at the roof of a three-story building just at the edge of the marketplace. And there's a man standing up there on the edge of this roof. The man's wearing a sleeveless leather jerkin that shows off massive tree tattoos that run the entire length of his arms. Um, you all would recognize him as Chiron. He had attacked you in Sinashore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eternal Watch. He is holding aloft a sword that is glowing with golden life song energy. And as he holds it, um, he is saying something, and it seems to be glowing brighter and brighter. And then he lowers it to a framework of wood, like a wooden beams next to him. The part that you can see kind of looks almost like a cattle fence. And as he touches it with the sword, the framework begins to glow with that same golden light. Um, and you can see the sword dims a little bit. And you see the arm of the catapult um, slap up against that brace and arcing through the air is a big clay pot roughly about the size of like a, a keg and the clay is glowing golden and as people see that they kind of start to scream and like try like there's a big huge keg sized projectile that's gonna crash down into the middle of the market so people start to freak out as it does arc and then come crashing down somewhere out of sight of the person who that you're seeing through their eyes. When it does, there is a, an eruption of vines that spray out like a fountain from where the pot hit. Oh, shit. The commander moves his hand a little bit um, and kind of like sliding it across the orb like and the view in the projection shifts it kind of follows and so he moves this to show you a different part of the city and from there you can see where these vines come erupting out of the marketplace like wherever they touch they start to just consume things and as they eat or consume they grow faster or they grow more and they burst out new vines and one of the the new views of something that you, that they got from last night is a a shot of the city at large and you can see the vines exploding out across the city um hitting street vendors pack animals people all of them just being swallowed and you can see one building that just explodes not like with fire or force or anything but because six massive vines are bursting out of it what we saw in the cascade yes yeah shit i'm very familiar with it so yeah <laughs> i think your phantom hand is itching a little bit oh, um so there's six these six huge vines come they explode out of one one of the buildings these things these vines are a good 100 feet in diameter and one of them like seems like it as it expands and like arcs over the city, it, it stretches almost the entire width of the city and then comes crashing down, destroying buildings and shooting off more vines. Fun, fun fact, this is for fans of the expanded universe. This is also would look very much like the scene that Leandro saw in his vision three years ago when he tried to do a like a vision of the future when he was in Arthamore. Oh, that's right. So this is the grim yeah, future right. he saw 
that could have been avoided. You then see a red-headed barmaid is on her way to work, and you see the vines level a building nearby, and she screams and runs. But one of the smaller vines hits her in the side, and she falls sobbing to the, the cobblestones before she's devoured. You see a group of city guard um, attack a patch of vines, only to have the vines climb up their halberds and consume them, their weapons and armor, um, even seeming to slowly melt underneath the vines once the flesh is gone. You see a young boy crying, um, being pulled away by an adult, and the boy is screaming and reaching for a dog that's just a few feet away that's being devoured by the vines. The next scene is mages from the university, um, and they are they're lashing out with fire and ice and arcane spells, and all to like to no avail. In the best cases, when the fireballs explode, they just blossom into a fountain of vines as the as this plant feeds on the magic. Others, as you you know, similar to Varus, the you see the vines like just race up the stream of magic and consume the user. You see then, too, at some point as they've, they've um, retreating deeper and deeper into the, the college, they put up a big bubble of force around like kind of the inner sanctum of the university, and that, too, is consumed. You see an old dwarven couple shuffle out of their home, um, seeing a vine emerge at the end, the end of their street. They take each other's hand and begin to move as fast as they can the other way, uh, but their steps are too short and their joints are too hampered by arthritis. The vines catches one of them by the foot, and he falls. The other one turns with a cry, and, and he goes back and kneels and holds his partner's head um, in his lap as the vines climb up both of them. At the city gates, the attempted mass exodus turns quickly into chaos. So abandoned or crashed wagons block the way. Large groups of people are pushing and fighting against each other, trying to get out of the city. And when the vines come to this area, there's, there's just no chance for anybody. Then we see a purple tiefling, which we as an audience know as Calico. She is standing in the doorway to the aqueduct, and the water is roaring behind her. A small group probably mostly clasp, are making their way down the hallway to the main pipe itself. Another tiefling, that again, we know as Rackham, um, stands on the catwalk over the water. And he raises a hand um, on which is a silver bracelet studded with yellow gems. And a series of chains rise from the bracelet to a gem that hangs on the back of his hand, another large yellow gem. And then more chains extend from that gem to a ring on each of his five fingers, again, with a large um, yellow gem on it. And as he raises up, all the gems begin to glow. And we see Rackham use the magic from his patron to begin ripping stones out of the ceiling of the aqueduct and bringing those stones to down to float just above the water and begin cre creating a barge. And once the barge is, is like fully formed, the, um, the clasp and calico all begin to climb aboard. Rackham gets into the back of the barge, and the gems glow again. And this time, we see the water that's pouring slowly through the tube into the city begin to slow even more. And then it stops. And then it reverses direction and starts flowing out of the city. <laughs> Damn, he got powerful. <laughs> Just before he can drop the barge into the water and begin to make their way out, there's a noise from the catwalk above. And there's a group of women and children huddled up there. Uh, they must have followed the class out there hoping for some help. Uh, but there's no room in the barge. So, since you two are here, what do Calico and Rackham do? <gasps> Essentially, you can leave and you'll get out of the city without any problem, but those women and children will almost certainly die. Or you can hang back and Rackham can create another barge to get them out of there, but then your fates will be uncertain. So what do the Bane siblings do? Uh, How many women and children? 
It's about 20. How many of the clasps do we have on the barge? About 20. Uh, what are you guys doing? Well, let's go. Alright, let's go. Okay. I'm with you. Bye, so then we watch as the, the clasp in the barge begin to float down the aqueduct and the women and children are left on the catwalk just kind of staring down in hopelessness and and fear in an inn called the silver unicorn a man named felix stands with a broom handle held before him like a sword and behind him the staff of the unicorn huddle with their families as vines smash through the door and into the common room over top a bar that still has an old silence teleportation circle in its basement. In an apartment small, far too small for such a family, a woman named Ella Burgess clutches her five children close to her. She whispers soothing words into their ears, trying to calm them, and in an effort to calm herself as well. She thinks back then suddenly, for some reason, to a strange night when a, a handsome, broad-chested fighting man came to her door. He had some strange friends with him, but she only cares at this moment to remember Hans. And she has almost a smile on her face when the vines crash through the doors. In the palace, the regional governor, Machios Rufel, lifts a sending stone to his face and tells Prahim that Arthamor is lost. And then the projection cuts out. Accio turns back to you and says... And that's what we know. It's fucked up. Have your mages ever encountered anything like this before? No. I lost many good people trying to fight it. It was only by burning the land around the city could we even slow its growth. Did we ever stop it? down in the cascade we just no. basically like closed that door and was like let's go elsewhere wasn't there like a potion that we found that we kind of like bottled we took them as like little grenades or something wasn't you, that you took some like um like plant killing like pesticide type thing yeah. like a weed killer sort of thing i don't know that you had tested it on the glut like though. okay right yeah i don't um, think we did you were able to get Odette out by getting Abigail to come up and and cut down all the vines because her people are not affected by it. That's right. I want to say via our telepathic communication, do we need do we, sh- we should should we tell him what this is that we've encountered this before? Is it going to come back on us that we didn't stop it then? If there's some if there's some information we can share that would help them, yeah, I'm fine with that, but. I have a book and a bunch of info basically on the experimentation that they were doing down in the Cascade. Mm-hmm. I could we lend that. I, I could lend that to them. I mean, I, don't, I, I pretty much copied and memorized it by now. I'm going to tell them. Okay. And uh, I turn to them and I, and I say, we've encountered this before. And I can't remember the name of the mountain. But there is a... It was a, below Hammerfall. Yeah, Hammerfall. There's a cult there, um, which created something called the Cascade, which we didn't even know existed until recently. He um, gestures to like one of his acolytes, and they start taking notes as you talk. We were there for a mission, you know, not relevant to this, but we had to rescue a man and along the way we ran into this wild plant growth they called it the glutton because all it does is it feeds and it grows my colleague here i believe has a journal on the study of some of this plant growth if i remember correctly they were experimenting on ways to grow food without sunlight we'll give you all the information we have and i will point you in that direction because this is some scary shit. Yeah, uh, I hold up my my hand and say, "Yeah." I had to remove his said hand before it before he was all gone. That catches his attention. Did you find any way to stop it? We have some of this. We found some of this poison that I will willingly give you, but I 
I'll be honest with you, we never tried it on them. Okay. Yeah, they'll take it. They seem pretty willing to try just about anything at this point. Over, like, the telepathic bond, I'll ask, like, should we tell them about the creatures we found down there, or...? I'm not going to say anything about them. Yes, I, think I say I, I think we'd be loyal to them. That's still um that I still feel ashamed of what I did down there, not the the being fooled, but the killing of the their people. Yeah, so. I'll, I'll also say though that like if this happens again and continues to spread, we might actually need to go back down there and talk to them for help. Just keep that in mind. So the Shining Force spend another day up on the Dawn Rose, doing whatever it is exactly that they are doing. At the end of that second day, they pay you, and then don't really press again about additional days. The research logs from the Cascade are getting a lot of attention. The Shining Force do end up trying some of the plant-killing oil that you offered them. Uh, They drop it from the airship, but there doesn't really seem to be any kind of effect from it. Oh, we tried. (laughs) Like, one little leaf dies out. (laughs) (laughs) Your business here concluded. The Dawn Rose takes to the sky, this time bound for Brightmoon, the fortress city of the paladins of the Armalucius. The warriors of the light are often sought for protection. You, however, seek them for answers. Do the hearts of agony truly exist, or are they merely a bard's tale? And what is the nature of Thorina's connection? to the king in yellow. During the week-long trip, all you can do is pray that the answers await you in the city of last hope. that I said it's totally going to be on the previously on Wild Endeavors, right? Which one? About being heroes. Oh, fuck heroes. yeah. Hero. What do we do You're already trying to build your brand. <laughs> I was like, this episode's not even going to air for like 20 years. Correct. 20 years. It could be as early as February. <laughs> of what, 2021? 20, no, 2019. Even though I don't have to eat. Oh, you don't have to eat? No, just like I don't sleep either. Why do you not have to eat? I don't know. Because I have superpowers, (laughs) like all elves. I don't think you have that superpower. Yeah, I think you have to eat. (laughs) I mean, we've never once said that I have to eat, so I just assumed. Well, I'm well, going to we say... never once said we used the bathroom either. So. Hire a cook. <laughs> What's our and cooking I, situation right now? And I just signed my own death warrant. <laughs> <laughs> the cooking situation? Yeah, like, like remember in the, uh, the other campaign, we hired a really good cook? <laughs> we do the same here, guys? You could. Was that in our pirate game? Yeah, it was yeah. the pirate campaign. He survived too, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he turned out to be an informant, remember? Mm-hmm. Like, to our advantage. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, mm-hmm. we lost our carpenter. But we lost. Yeah, we lost our carpenter, yeah. yeah. We got a big old brute on our side, too, in the pirate campaign. Mm-hmm. You sure do. But in this campaign... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Same world. <laughs> Thomas, it was, it's pronounced Orias. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll fix that in post. <laughs> okay. How does Devin know that? Because it's my character, Quintus Arias. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta say, it's from the shadow. Oh shit, Justicar Arias. Mm. I thought I didn't. I thought it was Aurelius. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> Quintus is coming up in the world. Oh yeah. Yes. He said something about Hosser or Hoster. Yeah. Yeah. 
who is the well, as I I would remember, I believe he's the king in yellow. How do you guys fucking remember this shit? Because <sighs> I was trying to learn stuff for uh, uh, for Rackham. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck is Rackham? I was only in Rat Shadow for like one episode. One, one episode. That's still that reveal of you coming in was great. I didn't get famous way before me. It's gonna be sad. Are you guys making fun of me in Slack right now? Yeah. Yeah, because you said duty. Um, I said duty. <laughs> <laughs> and we're adults. 